Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. If you have your Bible, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, you'll find that segment there in the opening uh, that we know as the Beatitudes. And there are several statements here. Um that Jesus makes kind of in rapid-fire succession in which he pronounces blessing over certain characteristics and attitudes that might attend our lives. So far we've learned that the poor in spirit will possess the kingdom of heaven. We've also learned that those who mourn will be comforted, or in other words, those who have a repentant spirit will be called near to God. And the reason I felt it needful today to just continue in this series of messages is because I I just thought for a few minutes, hey, these statements of Jesus, they're so contradictory to what the world teaches and they're just so counter-cultural and counter-intuitive even to humanity that, you know, we live in a world that really celebrates the chest thumpers, you know, uh, the the high and mighty, the the famous, and, and, and we just really hold those in high regard. I mean, all that you've got to do for your like political opinion to count for anything is be a celebrity. And I don't understand the correlation between the two, but we hold, you know, famous people, uh, vain people in such high regard that that's just where we are as a society. And Jesus is about to make a statement here in the Beatitudes that is so counter to everything that we hear in our society and in our culture today, I thought, hey, this is not only a good word for the entire body of Christ, but it's especially a good word for men today. It's especially a good word for fathers today. So we're going to jump right in here, and we're going to hear Jesus say this, blessed are the meek. See, I told you that's not something you hear about in, in our regular everyday. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now today as we consider this verse, I want to let you know that there are some particulars about this scripture upon which I'm not clear, nor does anyone else really seem to be for that matter from what I've read and studied. But I feel as though I've been granted some some insight from the Holy Spirit. And in order to share what the Lord has laid on my heart today, we're going to approach this passage here just a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, Normally, we'll begin with an opening phrase or some opening words, and we'll work from there through the succession until we get to the end of the verse. Today, however, we're going to start at the end of the verse, and we're going to work our way back uh, because I want you to understand what it is that Jesus is offering to us here, okay? So before we get started here, I want to remind you of a couple of other verses in the Bible. I want to remind you of Jesus' words in, in John 10.10. 10. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And then I want us to focus on the B part where Jesus said, But I have come that they might have life and have it, how? More abundantly. More abundantly. I want to ask you right now at the onset of this message, Are you living an abundant life? Are you living in the fullness of what Jesus has promised? When when you think about your life in comparison, in contrast to Jesus' word, you know, is there an amen that rises up in your spirit that says, I identify with Jesus' statement 
that I, he has come to give me an abundant life? Or is there something lacking there? And you just say, you know what, there's something about my experience as an individual that just, you know, even as a believer, that just doesn't mesh with that. I don't feel like I'm walking in victory. I don't feel like I'm walking in spiritual fullness. I feel drained. I feel empty. Uh, then I want to challenge you on that today as we look at this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Peter speaks about life in Christ in terms like inexpressible and unspeakable joy. How many of you have joy in your heart today? You've got joy welling up on the inside. Understand there's a difference between happiness and joy. I'm not saying you're completely satisfied with all of life's circumstances right now, but on the inside, there's just something. You're, you're like we sing here on the songs often, I raise a hallelujah. I mean, there's joy in my heart that's bubbling out regardless of what's going on around me. So when we read this verse and it says, the meek shall inherit the earth, and we hear that word inheritance. For me as a believer, and I believe for a lot, of, a lot of people who study the word, my mind immediately wants to go to a future tense. I want to go to something that, that is, is out in an eternal sense. Especially when it says at the point here where, you know, it says that the meek shall inherit the earth. Our minds begin to race and we think, well, what does that mean? Well, what kind of promise is it that we would inherit this earth? Not much. Because this earth is decaying. This earth is groaning, waiting for the appearing of the Lord. This earth in its current state is vexed with the curse of sin. Now, Jesus must have been speaking about the new heaven and the new earth, right? That's where our minds want to go and... And yes, again, here we've been promised heaven by our Lord. And, and many will teach that this life is just a few days of suffering, and then we die, and then we get our reward. And I know that this life is full of trouble. It's a, a seldom recounted promise of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. But I want to tell you something. I don't only have hope of Jesus in the next life to come, but I have hope of Jesus right now, today, that he can bestow upon me a fullness of his presence and a fullness of his spirit that I can walk in victory today and I can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. Just like Peter said. Now, don't misunderstand me. You know, I do believe that there are untold blessings and rewards that await the believer that outpace our wildest imagination and have a splendor that's not comparable to anything else on this earth. But, and we should always assume the literal fact of a new heaven and a new earth as an inheritance of godliness. I get that. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But there's nothing in this verse specifically that helps us to make that stretch and say, well, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's, that's where he's going with this. There's, there's nothing to lead there. We've got to read way, way more into this verse than is actually there to make it say that, that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit a future new heaven and new earth. 
That's, that, I don't believe that's what Jesus is talking about. Here's a hazard that we as believers have. Sometimes we overlook the promise of the immediate blessing many times looking for the culmination of future things. In other words, sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees. We don't see what God's doing right now because of some future expectation. And we need to have a future expectation. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But we need to have an expectation as well that God can show up right now, right in the lion's den, right in the fiery furnace, right in the dungeon, and that he can bring a peace and a joy and a blessing into our lives. Right now. Right now. This whole year, we've been talking about moving forward. We've been talking about overcoming obstacles and taking new territory and just trusting God for greater things. And I believe here, as Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's exactly what he's talking about. I believe that as Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's talking to you, believer, and he's saying, you're going to take new territory. You're going to claim new ground in the spirit. You're going to see things begin to open up in your life like you've never seen before. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, say, well, Pastor, how do, how do you get there? Well, good. I'm glad you asked. In Jesus' day, there was a practice among Jewish teachers that as they were teaching, if they wanted to explain something as being a tremendous blessing, they would explain it as possessing the land. They would use the phrase, the land. Now, this Greek word that's translated here, earth, is used 243 times in the New Testament. 188 times it's translated earth, but 33 other times it's translated land. And the reason that the teachers of Jesus' day used that term, the land, it was to describe and reference back to the conquest of Canaan. The children of Israel. You'll remember very vividly that you've heard about Pharaoh and how he had enslaved the children of Israel. And God spoke to Moses through a burning bush and said, I'm going to bring my children out of that land of slavery. What did he say to them? He said, I'm going to bring them out to a good land and a large land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's going to be where I'm going to lead them to. In other words, I'm going to take them from a place of bondage and slavery and I'm going to lead them to a place where there is an overflow of abundance. Just a fullness. I mean, they're not going to live like slaves anymore, but they're going to be faring like king's kids. They're going to be be feasting, as it were, on the good of the land. And, And Jesus here says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And some people will often say, they'll, they'll take that analogy and say, well, Pastor, you, you said you didn't think Jesus was talking about heaven, but doesn't Canaan typify a type of heaven? And, and there may be some places where we can make that correlation, but I don't personally believe that Canaan typifies heaven. And here's why. Canaan was possessed by the children of Israel because they waged war themselves to possess it. When I get to heaven and I hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord, understand it will not be because of any battle or any war that I have ever waged. It will be because Jesus Christ hung on the cross of Calvary's hill, surrendered his life and said, it is finished. And he fought and he won my victory and my entrance to heaven for me. 
Now, secondly, once the children of Israel inhabited the land of Canaan, they had to fight and they had to struggle to maintain possession thereof. They were continually at conflict. And I'm telling you, when I get to heaven, there's not going to be any more conflict there. There's going to be no more sorrow. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says they're going to beat their swords and weapons into plowshares. I mean, it's all is going to be peace. No more, no more war, no more threats, no more rumors of war. It's all over. The Prince of Peace has established his kingdom, and it's done. See, in heaven, there's going to be no more wars, no more struggles, no more trials, no more sorrows. My adversary is going to be bound and cast into the lake of fire forever. I do believe, however, that Canaan is typical of the victorious life that is offered us through Christ Jesus. That we can live in him in fullness. That we can experience in this barren and dry desert land, we can experience and we can feast on the land of milk and honey that Jesus provides for us. We can be satisfied with the good things that he gives. So I believe very well that Jesus could have been figuratively speaking of the earth as a taking of territory, a possessing of land, spiritually eating the good of the land. Now, as I said, we've been talking about, you see the banners up in here and out in the foyer, you know, moving forward and taking new territory. I want to ask you today, how many of you want to possess what Jesus has promised? Oh, geez. Man. I hate to be pessimistic, but hey, come on. How many of you want to possess what Jesus has promised? Hey, there we go. To walk in the fullness of what Christ affords, to know the joy unspeakable and full of glory that Peter spoke about, to experience that abundant life that Jesus proclaimed. So let's contrast a word here. There's a word here that the meek will inherit the earth. It's an inheritance. Now I want to contrast that with what Peter says in, in 1 Peter 1.18 and he says this, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. The empty life that you what? Inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value, Peter continues and says, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So there's a contrast that's there. We had, through our Adamic nature, we had inherited an empty life. A life of sin, a life of struggle, a life of strain. But through Christ Jesus, we inherit a full life. A life of blessedness. And that's what Jesus says here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Peter says that the life of religion that those people had received from their ancestors was empty. It was void of blessing. It was vain. And he contrasts that with our inheritance in Christ, which he said earlier was full of, full of glory and joy unspeakable. Church, there's an inheritance that waits for us in heaven, but there's a right of sonship and an heirdom that is shared with Christ Jesus that affords us rights and blessings today as a child of the Most High God. So, how do we get there? How do we move from where we are and continually walk into fuller 
and richer and deeper blessing than we've known before. Jesus assigns the route to these blessings as coming through meekness. Meekness. If we want to walk in the fullness of our inheritance in him, if we want to experience that fullness of life, if we want to gain new territory in the spirit, we must walk in meekness. The definition of meekness, Thayer gives us this definition. It is mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. Meekness is not the product of our own making. It is the fruit of God's spirit in us. A closely related word is translated meekness in the King James Version when Paul is writing to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. And he's telling them the things that they can expect to be manifest in their lives as a result of the Spirit of God abiding and dwelling in them. And he says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is meekness. Now, Jesus... Let me, let me explain to you what meekness is because when we hear that word meekness, it is often a misunderstood term. We don't, we don't really understand because we don't ever hear about meekness. When's the last time any of you turned on the TV and you heard anybody encouraging you to be meek? No, we don't discuss it much in our society because we, we don't understand it and therefore we don't talk about it. We're, we're afraid of things we don't understand, by and large. I mean, sometimes we can't even hold hands with somebody who doesn't look like us because we don't understand where they came from. And we're afraid. And we're afraid sometimes of even spiritual truths because we don't understand them. So I want to help you understand today what, what meekness is. You see, many hear this word meekness and they immediately think, what rhymes with meekness? Weakness. They'll immediately think weakness or timidity or even something bordering on cowardice that in order to be meek, you have to allow yourself to be run over and taken advantage of. And I'll be honest with you, if that's what meekness is, I don't want any part of that either. But Jesus was the meekest man to ever walk the earth. And we read of his life during his trial, that faux trial that he had, when they were beating him and bludgeoning him, we read in John chapter 18, verse 22 and 23, it says this, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. And he said, is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? And Jesus replied, if I have done something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I have spoke the truth, why do you strike me? In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you don't have any right to be striking me. You don't have any right to be abusing me. So we learn from Jesus that you can be meek and you can stand up for yourself all at the same time. So when we're talking about meekness, we're not talking about some kind of, you know, neutered existence where we just can't stand up for ourselves and we have to just be passive all the time. In other words, Jesus was defending his right or the lack of someone else's rights to be abusing him. Meekness is not to be equated to weakness, but rather it is exercising God's strength under his control. Meekness is strength under control. Now I want to ask you something. What 
are your greatest hindrances in attaining the fullness of what God has in store for you? What are your greatest hindrances? And I really want you to think about that question here for a minute. What are your greatest hindrances in just laying up? Like you wake up every day and you've got a dream in your heart. You've got a desire. You understand somewhat at least what God's destiny is and you want to move in that. But there's some things that hold you back. There's some things that hinder you. What are those things? Now I know that you want to give me the garden variety answer here and say, well, it's the devil. Well, of course it is. I mean, it's either he or the Holy Spirit. They get blamed for everything. And I know that it is indeed the devil. I know that, that he wars against us. I'm not discounting that at all. But specifically, how does he work in our lives to hinder us? I can tell you my first place of trouble in my life in attaining what God has before me. And if you want to know my first place of trouble, you're looking at it. It's me. It's me. The, the adversary wars against my life and my spiritual development, and he hinders me first by using me. He tempts me. He feeds me doubt. He lies to me concerning the promises of God and my own standing before God. And in these ways, he hinders my moving forward to what God has prepared for me if I'll let him. Now, the second way that the adversary wars against my life is very similar to the first. Except that it's not the person that you're looking at, it's the people that I'm looking at. Other people. Other people. He will cause folks to say things about me. He will cause folks to say things to me. He will inspire jealousy in others that will cause their actions towards me to be harsh or maybe withdrawn. He will even cause me to believe that others have something against me when there's no real evidence to support that thought. How many, come on, how many of you have ever thought that somebody had a problem with you, you just knew that they were fuming mad with you, and you approached them about it, and they didn't have a clue what you were talking about? Come on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't be ashamed. Both hands, all right. But if the adversary can't get into me, he'll come between you and me. And he'll cause there to be something in my life. You know, I know people today, they have beautiful voices. They're very gifted. They won't grace a platform to sing in a worship service because they're too afraid of what somebody else sitting in the congregation may think of them. I know people who can't serve because they're worried about what somebody else might say about what they're doing. They're fearful and they're timid because they're worried about somebody else. Now, what happens during the season of injury? What happens when I think that somebody else has got a problem with me or maybe somebody else does have a problem with me? What happens during that is I get my eyes off of what God's doing in my life, where he's leading, and I get focused on so what someone else has done or what they've said or what I think they've done or what I think they've said, and the result is I either become paralyzed in my pursuit of God 
or I become distracted from my pursuit of God and his blessing for my life. And suddenly, instead of pursuing God, I'm spending all my time defending myself And that becomes more important than following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly the threat of something else becomes greater than the promise of God in my own life. Are you tracking here with me? Now, the way that I get me under control is by exercising humility. And humility is closely related to meekness, but there is, and they're often used synonymously, but there is a slight difference. Because humility is a right valuation of myself inwardly. We talked about that in the first week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I've got a right value of myself. I realize that apart from God, I am nothing. Whereas meekness is a right valuation of myself before others and let me tell you something the way you value yourself before other people is going to make a big difference and a huge impact in the way and the intensity in which you pursue God's blessing for your life because if you don't value yourself right before other people you spend all your time becoming defensive you become withdrawn you start you know, trying to invest all your time in defending yourself or making excuses for yourself or making up these different things as to why you can't do whatever it is that God's called you to do. So humility is me valuing myself appropriately inward and meekness is me valuing myself rightly before others. And that valuation is this. Inwardly, I walk humbly knowing that whatever I have to boast in is the product of God's work in my, in, in my life and not my own. And outwardly, I walk in meekness before people with a quiet reliance upon God knowing that meekness begins with the understanding that I'm no better than anybody else. I'm saved by grace. The people here on the front pew are saved by grace. The people on the back pew are saved by grace and everybody in between is saved by grace. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. I'm no worse than you. You're no worse than me. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. As the old adage is, the ground is level at Calvary. That's the beginning of meekness. And I think we all understand that. I treat people with respect and dignity. I don't repay evil with evil, but I repay evil with good. That's where meekness gets its start. But it continues because meekness is also an understanding that I'm not inferior to anyone else. Now, I know that's a shocker for you this morning. But meekness is also an understanding that I'm not inferior to anyone else either. I don't have to defend what God is doing in my life. There's some of you right now, you have been robbed of so many blessings 
Because you didn't feel worthy and you, didn't feel, you felt inferior to those around you, at least spiritually, and you've allowed the adversary to come in and rob what God was doing in your life. I don't, and, and you have to begin to defend what God is doing and develop a rationale or a reason. I can tell you, there's no sense to God's blessing in my life or yours either one. You know, they say that grace is unmerited favor. Can I tell you something? Grace is favor in spite of your merit. Because you merit worse. You merit less. But Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I don't have to get even with people for my life to be what God intended for it to be. I don't have to set everyone straight about who I am and what God has intended for me. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to live angry. I can just be gentle and wait upon God to vindicate me. Has there been any ill? But I don't have to do it myself. I just wait on the Lord. Not in a haughty way, but in a way that says, I don't need man's approval to gain God's best for my life. You don't like what God's doing in my life? I'm not going to give up just because you don't like it. And I'm not going to be arrogant, and I'm not going to be boastful, but I'm just going to keep taking one step after the next step after the next step, realizing the fulfillment of God's plan in my life every step of the way, regardless of what anybody thinks about it. And I'm going to tell you, church, until you can value yourself appropriately in your own eyes and until you can value yourself appropriately before the eyes of others, you will never inherit the land that God has promised you. There'll always be a Canaanite or a Perizzite or some other kind of ite to keep you out of what God has promised. But when you can just walk in meekness before other people, They may hurl insults. They may speak down of you. They may do whatever they do. But just with a quiet gentleness in your spirit, you just keep walking. Keep moving. Step by step. Walking by faith. Listen, I love the body of Christ and we need one another. Don't get me wrong. We need one another. But at the same time, I can't put you where you need to be. I didn't get you where you're at. Nobody else did either. That was God. He has moved you and he's positioned you. And I'm telling you, just... There's some some people I, I just really admire. And I, I see them, I see them all the time and they're giving interviews and things and they're always being reminded of the accusations that have been made against them. And they just, they don't defend themselves. They don't really argue the facts. They just smile. And they say, well, you know, this thing or that thing is where we felt the Lord leading us. 
and we're just trying to be obedient to what God's called us to do and we're moving forward we're moving forward in the vision that God's given us and I want to tell you church when we can learn that there'll be a lot more people serving in the church when we can learn that there'll be a lot more believers walking in victory when we can get a hold of that there'll be a lot more people having breakthrough in their lives and we'll see people overcoming obstacles and taking new territory moving towards their destiny growing deeper in Christ blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth I love this quote from Albert Barnes a, a writer of days gone by a commentator of scripture it says this meekness produces peace it is proof of true greatness of soul and comes from a heart that is too great to be moved by little insults God help us we, we live in a highly offended society an easily offended society but God help us as believers not to be so thin-skinned but just in a quiet gentleness in meekness confidently and quietly to move forward in what God's calling us to amen Meekness is resting in what God's doing in my life, not just when I'm in the prayer closet, but when I'm out interacting with other people as well, when I'm out walking in and exercising what I'm doing. When I get settled on that, I can walk confidently into what God has prepared for me, and I can possess the land that he has set before me and know the blessing that is in him right now right now would you stand all over the sanctuary thank you so much for being here with us today and I believe I, I really sensed in my spirit that, that there were some people who identified When I mentioned the reluctance to serve and the reluctance to walk in your gift for fear of what other people would think. Well, I just showed up at the church. I don't want people to think. Well, I just, you know, I've not been perfect in my past and I don't want people to think. I don't look a certain way and I don't want people to think. I don't feel a certain way and... I want to pray for you today that God would just give you that quiet confidence and that gentleness of spirit. That, that not in arrogance, but in a, in a beauty of the Holy Spirit, you would just be able to move forward in Jesus' name and lay hold of every blessing that he has prepared for your life. If I'm speaking to you today 
and you need special prayer, as our worship team leads us, I'm going to invite you to come. And we want to believe God for you. That you would just have a breakthrough in your life. That, that you would get over that voice of condemnation as the adversary tries to condemn you before other people. And that you would rightly be able to value yourself through the finished work of Calvary, not only in your own heart, but as a part of the body of Christ. If that's you, as we, as we sing this morning, there's, listen, there's no judgment here. This is not some kind of museum. It's not a performance hall. It's a haven. We call it a sanctuary. By definition of the word, it's a refuge from all those things. This is a place where as the body of Christ, we come together and we wrap our arms around one another and we encourage each other to rise up to walk in a newfound faith, a fresh anointing and a fresh power of God. So if that's you today and you said, Pastor, I've just really been having a bad view of myself, not only inwardly, but in the way I calculate what others are thinking of me and it's really hindering me from moving forward. We want to believe God today that you would leave this place with the fruit of meekness in your life you'd be able to rise up and confidently go in the name of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to share with you today, can, this can be your day. You can walk out of this place and know that you know that you know that once this life is over, eternity and heaven with Jesus is yours. And we're going to have people here at the altar who want to pray with you. Just express that to them that I want to I want to know Jesus in a different way. And they'll pray with you and believe God together with you. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.